0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are reminded of creation. That darkness was over the surface of the deep. And you brought the light. Even you, Lord Jesus, as light of this world as the word of the living God, even before the light of the sun and the stars. It was your light that brought forth light to bring existence to this planet, to bring life to this planet, to bring us into existence. You are not only that light, Lord, that brings forth creation, but you are the light of God's love that shows us the depth of our Heavenly Father's heart which is beyond comprehension. As we are gathered here this morning, Lord, to hear your word proclaimed, speak through me as your servant. Bless the preaching and the hearing of your word, that what goes forth might be received into the hearts and minds of all who are here, and that it may strengthen them in their faith. And in their worship of you. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Please open your Bibles uh, to basically two places. We're going to look at a few other scriptures as well, but I want you to have bookmarkers in Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three. Hebrews one one through three and Luke twenty two, verses fifty two through fifty three. So have markers in Hebrews one one through three, and Luke twenty two fifty two, through fifty three. As you're turning there, somebody, some of you may be noticing the pastor's very poor grammar in the title <laughs> of the sermon this morning. Uh, Ain't no sunshine. And as I was thinking about that, I think, well, there are some words that express a little more feeling, a little more emotion than others. Ain't no sunshine is a little more emotional than there will not be any more sunshine, or there is not any more sunshine. So when you are feeling blue, feeling down, especially if you are feeling down about missing someone, Uh, That word ain't seems appropriate in a 1970s Bill Withers type of way. Some of you actually might know who that guy is. I know one song he sang, it was like, Ain't no sunshine when she's gone There's no warmth when she's away. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone and she's always gone too long anytime she goes away. If I sang these words with my children around while my wife was away on a school related trip, I might hear my hear something like Dad she'll be back in a week, chill out. <laughs> And then I would sing, I know, I know, I know, I know. (laughs) Dad! Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This song, Ain't No Sunshine When She's Gone, addresses the loneliness one feels when the one they love is away for even a short time of parting. As Shakespeare's Juliet says to her beloved Romeo, parting is such sweet sorrow. Parting is such sweet sorrow. The sorrow is the pain that comes from having to be apart for, of, from such love for even a moment. The sweetness is the hope and expectation of seeing each other again the next day. And then the greater hope of marriage where you get to spend the rest of your days together. That is the sweetness that they're looking at. How much greater then is the pain of loss when your loved one simply does not go away for a time but for the remainder of your life on this planet when they pass away or they die. The formerly described momentary parting seems trivial in view of never being able to see the brightness of your spouse's eyes, the beauty and warmth of their smile. To feel their touch or their tender embrace. To have that blessed familiarity of your best friend taken away from you for the remainder of your days on this earth. As you work through the heartache and solemn anger of trying to understand such great loss, you realize your life is never going to be the same again. And perhaps you try to keep them alive in your heart and mind, trying to remember all the details of your relationship. You don't want to forget any part of the life you shared with each other. Unfortunately for some in this world, their memories are all they have of their departed spouses. For them, there's no hope beyond this because their grief is that their spouse is gone. Just gone. So the funeral is often described as a celebration of life. It is a celebration of their brief time on this planet because they now no longer exist. They are gone as if they never were. In other beliefs, should they continue to exist in some other way, you will never know them again as they are. The point is, is that there really is no hope beyond the grave for some folks. There is no hope beyond death. But as Christians, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Our hope is in, the resurre- in, is in our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles and your quick page turner, turn to 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. This is the hope in Christ Jesus for those who believe on Him. In 1 Thessalonians four thirteen, Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. The Apostle Paul is talking about the resurrection here. In so doing, he presents the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Paul writes in verse 14, We believe that Jesus died and rose again, overcoming the power of death. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Paul does not want us to be uninformed here. He does not want us to be ignorant about what, how things really are. Are we then uninformed about those who sleep in death? Those who sleep refer to the Christians whose souls are absent from the body, yet present with the Lord. But do we realize that the Christian entering into heaven when you die spiritually is not the final blessing God bestows on you through Jesus Christ? The Apostle Paul wants you and I to understand that the day will come when Christ Jesus returns to this world, triumphant even over death itself, which is the last enemy, and his people shall be glorified, raised up with him in the final resurrection. Hence Paul writes also in Romans 8, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Is this not the hope that sustains us through the trials that we face in this life? That we are not going to remain in this condition forever, but we are going to have glorified bodies that are perfected and purified, that are made righteous and dwell in the presence of God, are able to dwell in the presence of God eternally, without fear of being forsaken or cast away because of sin god reveals this glory through his son jesus christ and there are two scenes in, in the word of god that we can look at that shows the profound nature of this glory of christ jesus that will be revealed in us the first passage that you already should have marked is hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 hebrews 1 verses 1 through 3 which states in the past god spoke to our forefathers when you hear this passage, it is about the Son, and only about the Son. How is the Son of God described here? How is He presented to us? Well, first of all, the Son speaks as one whose revelation is final. Revelation, prophecy especially, looks forward to someone who is coming, or something that is coming or in the new testament it's looking backwards jesus is not looking towards anything he is the epicenter of all revelation in scripture he is the fulfillment of the law he is the he is who the pro- prophets are looking to in the old testament and who the apostles are looking back to in the new testament he is the gospel the good news to a dying world and to a world that's that is in darkness and sin. It is through Him that we are forgiven. It is Him through whom we receive pardon. So the Son is also the heir of all things. Colossians one sixteen says something very similar. It says, For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things were created by him and for him. The Son's supremacy over all of creation is displayed quite clearly here in both Hebrews 1 and Colossians 1 verse 16. And it's also presented in other places in Scripture. uh, As Jesus is the one who is the author of creation along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Yet Jesus is appointed the heir of all things by his heavenly Father. His divine supremacy over all creation will be in full display at the end of history as all things were made by him and for him. He is the heir of all things. This earth belongs to Jesus. We know that Satan tried to steal this world from him. And just the audacity when I think about it, jesus third temptation when jesus when satan takes him up on a high mountain shows him all the kingdoms of this world and says i'll give all of this to you if you'll bow down and worship worship me i think of the audacity of this evil being to say to the person whom he has stolen this place from that i'll give it back to you if you will see me as your god that is the audacity of evil We see that same kind of audacity in our own nation. We see it throughout the world in the minds and hearts of tyrants. The idea that all of this is theirs. And they have been the ones who have gained it for themselves. And yet this is why I think Jesus says in the scriptures, even if you gain the whole world, what can you give in exchange for your soul, for your life? Death is waiting for you. It's right there. Once you die, everything that you think you've gained, everything that you think is yours will be taken from you and given to another. It will be given to one who is faithful to me and keeps my commands. Jesus came into this world amazingly that he has made and offered himself the spotless Lamb of God as a sacrifice to redeem to buy back his creation and a people for himself, purchasing our pardon from sin through the offering of his blood as an atoning payment, the blood payment of the innocent and righteous paying for the guilty sentence of the unrighteous sinner. It is the immortal one dying for the mortal so that the mortal can be clothed with his immortality in the presence of God his heavenly Father, and his heavenly hosts, clothed in this righteousness of Christ, received by faith. It is not what we have done. It is by faith. It is not by merit. It's not by our works. It's by faith in Christ Jesus and what he has accomplished for us that we are made right in the sight of God. Verse 3 says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory. The Greek word for radiance is apogasma, which can be translated as a reflection, but it's not the reflection per se of an image. It's a reflection of power. Uh, the thing that I think of when I, when I, as far as a, an earthly illustration is when people go to these beaches and they have these aluminum or foil or whatever, those, these little panels that they stick under their necks and, and suntan their faces with, what they're doing is they're, they're capturing, they don't care about what the sun looks like. They're capturing the power and the warmth of the sun so that they can tan themselves and warm their faces while they're out on the beach. That's what, that's what we're talking about here with Jesus. Jesus reflects the, the glory, the power of who, G, of who God is. We see this glory revealed Through his words and actions, we see this glory revealed through his power, his immutable obedience to the law. Name one person who has kept the law perfectly in our existence, in in life, on this planet. There's not one, not Moses, not Abraham, not even Enoch has kept it perfectly. There's only one, and his name is Jesus Christ, God's Son. Jesus offers his righteous life, that life that kept the law perfectly. He offers that life on the cross, as previously stated, and dies in our place because the only way, again, that we can be righteous in God's sight and have standing before him is if we inherit it from Christ Jesus, who is the exact imprint of God's nature, Hebrews 1.3 says. The exact imprint of God's nature. By using that word imprint, uh, Jesus is distinguished as one of the divine persons in the Holy Trinity. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 1 verse 15 that Christ Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The Greek word for imprint in Hebrews 1 verse 3 is character. Does that name sound familiar? That word sound familiar? Character? Character? If you're thinking about it, yes, it's true. That is the basis for the English word character. As a character can serve as the representative for another. Make no mistake here, though. Jesus is not simply a character playing God. Jesus represents God's divine nature because he is God. Jesus' mission in coming here was to make purification for sins. Everything that he had done was to live a righteous and holy life, to obey the law, to show forth the glory of God in how he conducted every part of his life. And then after it was all said and done, after he had done lived that perfect life, in order to make purification for our sins, he had to go to the cross and die in your place and mine. He had to take upon himself our sin so that we may receive his righteousness as an inheritance, we don't receive it because of our faith. We see, receive it through our faith. Through our faith in Christ Jesus, who has perfected us through his shed blood on our behalf. So he did this through his death, burial, and resurrection, triumphing over sin, death, and the devil. And Jesus fulfilled his mission here on earth. When he ascended into heaven, what did he do? He sat down. When you're done with your work, what do you do? I know some of you work while sitting down, so do I. But technically speaking, the idea is when you're, when you're done from your labor, you sit down, you're, you're completed. When Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, he meant it, his sacrificial work here on this earth was completed. It was done. He had won the victory and he is now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high of God the Father almighty he had not just won the victory for himself but for all who placed their faith in him as savior and lord and this is our real hope this is the glory god revealed to those who put their faith in jesus christ think about it practically the sun is shining outside isn't it might be a little cloudy but you can see cars, you can see trees. There's not darkness out there. The sun's light enables you to see what's going on. The sun's warmth, even though it's millions and millions of miles away, the sun's warmth keeps us from freezing. And we're in that time of year where the weather is quite pleasant. You get a nice gentle breeze. It's in the mid-70s. It's enjoyable. It feels good. It makes us feel comfortable, doesn't it? Without the warmth of that sun, we'd be popsicles right now, wouldn't we? Because space is actually a rather cold place, especially when you get outside the solar system. So we wouldn't exist. If, If it weren't for the sun's light, we wouldn't exist because the sun's light serves as a catalyst and sustainer of plants and even animals and all of us here in this world. But make no mistake, the sun is not responsible for life on this earth. Even though it sustains it, even though it is a catalyst for life, it is not the creator of life. The sun, S O N, is the creator and sustainer of all life. That's what we learn in Hebrews, and that's what we see here. Hebrews 1, verses 2 through 3 God made this world through the sun. S-O-N, he is the one who sustains all things by his powerful word. The Son, Jesus Christ, makes known the glory, the sunshine of the Father in heaven, revealing the truth about God, what is known by what he has created in this world, and through Holy Scripture, what is recorded about him. The Son, Jesus Christ, reveals the glory, the warmth, and incredible depth of God's love. And there ain't no sunshine when he's not around. There ain't no sunshine when he's not around. There's no real warmth in this world when God's not present. Think about this. There was a moment when Jesus, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, gave up his authority and humbled himself, becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. I can't read that without becoming choked up. That the king of glory would come into this world and humble himself even to the point of dying on a cross. For me, who am I that a king should should bleed and die for? Luke twenty-two verses fifty-two through fifty-three. If you have that available, Luke twenty-two fifty-two through fifty-three. Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, "Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts." And you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. I want you to think about our society for a moment. Think about our country, our culture. Jesus says to the so-called guardians of Israel, the leaders, those who are are ruling, those who are in control of the people. He says, "Am I leading a rebellion?" Am I the one leading a rebellion? Am I a robber? This, this word can also be translated as robber. Am I a robber trying to take from you what God has given to you? I'm, I'm thinking about how many people in the secular world view Christians today. And even as they view Christ back then, are we taking from them what God has given to you? Is that how you see us as somehow robbing you? Of what you have received? Or are we trying to preserve what God has given you? Am I the robber, Jesus says, trying to take from you what God the Father has given you? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, you saw my conduct, you heard my teaching, you saw the signs of the kingdom. They saw the miracles in which he was restoring sight to the blind. He was enabling lame people to walk. Lepers were being cleansed from their, from their affliction. They saw this. Did you, and Jesus is saying, "When you didn't come against me then. Why? Because this is your hour. This is your hour when darkness reigns. You didn't lay a hand on me because you knew what I was doing was right. But you're of your father who? The devil. Jesus knows that he's not just talking to the religious leaders here. He knows he's talking to their father, the devil. And this is the appointed time that the almighty God has set aside for darkness to reign as an example for us to see what this world would be like if Jesus had not come and given his life on our behalf. Darkness here doesn't simply mean lack of sunlight, of course. It refers to those trying to cover up, suppress, or even eliminate that which reveals the true nature of God and our existence. It's akin to what many are striving to do in our own country today. Claiming to be wise, they act foolishly because they are exchanging, trying to replace the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and animals. The fools of this world glorify the creation above the creator, plunging the creation into darkness in the process. So Jesus tells these leaders, this is your brief hour, your moment. Again, Jesus knows who he's talking to. And yet, I was th- as I was thinking about this, even if God allowed the devil to reign on this earth for 10,000 years, this is a moment he's talking about, a very short moment of time. But even if he had allowed the devil to reign on this earth for 10,000 years, that would be a pittance a pittance compared to the life Christ Jesus has gained for us in eternity. For a moment, though, God showed us the rule of darkness. We have talked about Jesus, who he is, and what he has done. Consider these leaders, what they're doing to God, what they're striving to do to Jesus. You see the opposition. They mocked Jesus and beat Him. Mocking is to put somebody down in order to build yourself up. You diminish them. Uh, They beat Jesus. That's following the same path. Uh, There is no thought about the lives of others. Your thought is only about you and your own self-righteousness, your own glory, your own power. That's all you care about. We see it today. That's why when you look at abortion and those who, who say that abortion should be legal and, and it's good and we're actually fighting about it. As Christians, we know that it is obscene and, and, and anathema. It's terrible. But there are those who, who claim it, it is a good thing. Why? Because they care only about their own bodies. They care only about themselves. What do they care about those who are unborn? What do they care about the responsibility that they should have in raising children and how that affects our society? We don't even think about that. King Herod of the Jews, along with his soldiers, mocked and ridiculed Jesus. Then they brought him before Pilate, who had him scourged and then crucified. God is allowing us to see what rebellion against him is truly like. What the desire of the evil one really is, and that is to destroy God. And yet by destroying God, you destroy the light. You destroy the love. You destroy that which is good. It is a self-defeating process. The creation cannot exist without the creator. And yet in the arrogance of one, the evil one, and those who follow him, all the concern is about myself. The parasite doesn't care about his host. The parasite cares only about what it can draw from its host to benefit itself. That's what we see with this present darkness. They meant what they were doing for evil purposes, but God obviously means it for good. While Jesus was hanging on the cross, all three Gospels say that darkness came over the whole land from noon to 3 p.m. when the sun is normally at its highest in the sky and its brightest. Why? I've read many commentators, many perspectives. No one can specifically say why the darkness came save that it is a supernatural darkness to remind us of what this world would be like without Jesus. What it's like when the sunshine is gone. It is God revealing to us as his creation that had Jesus not come into this world to lay down his life and remove all our sins, the planet would have remained in darkness forever. It's that familiar verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. What we behold is that God's love is truly stronger than death, stronger than sin, stronger than evil. The continuing existence of your loved one who has passed away, this is where we come back to our hope in Jesus Christ. The continuing existence of your loved one who has passed away isn't dependent on your faulty memory trying to keep them alive in your mind. It's dependent on God's love, as are all things. And that, in an ever-changing and uncertain world, is the one thing that we can always rely on is God's love. Because it's through God's love that he brings the light. That he reveals who he truly is, not who we think he is. And this is that Job moment at the end of all his suffering when he wants to challenge God and, and, and say, God, you're in the wrong. And God says, do you even understand what's going on? you talk to me as one who is ignorant who has no knowledge let me illumine you as far as what is really going on i am sovereign i am the, i am i am god you are my creature and what i have in store for you is greater than what you can even imagine what you have tried to gain and secure in this life i'm going to bless even more if only you put your faith in me. That is what God has given us through Jesus Christ. A greater blessing of not only knowing joy and happiness and blessedness in this life, but even in the life to come when the final resurrection comes and our bodies that have known the struggle and stress and difficulties of this life are restored and made new and perfected and made holy no longer under the power of the curse, and it will be those bodies that we behold, that we possess, that will live in the presence of God forever. We don't live as those who have no hope, beloved, that there's nothing beyond the power of death. There's nothing beyond the grave. Our hope is in Christ Jesus, who has not only sanctified us, purified us, But the promise is there of a new body that will never again know the corruption of sin. We'll never have to worry about the power of death. And we'll only know the peace of Christ as we are gathered together with our loved ones to be in his presence forevermore. To God be the glory. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's respond by turning in our